Hi, I'm David Freudberg, host of Humankind. I've been thinking a lot lately about civility. Of course, basic politeness and exercising good manners is essential. But I think civility, real civility, goes deeper. It means to choose our words carefully and thoughtfully in non-hurtful ways. It means to be respectful of how another person sees the world even when we heartily disagree. And to maintain a sense of humility, because as a wise friend of mine used to say, we could always be wrong. These are lofty goals which I practice imperfectly, of course. But that's the tone we strive for in these programs. Thank you for listening. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund and a grant from the Lintelac Foundation. We all have grandchildren, and we're very concerned, very, very concerned. And I'm always looking into myself, what more can I do? so that they have a future. And that is propelling me. The tumultuous history of a nuclear power plant in environmentally progressive Vermont. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. About 100 nuclear power plants currently operate in the United States, more than any other nation by far. They are colossal structures which generate intense heat. Steam released through a smokestack contains generally low-level radioactivity. At some reactors at night, bright red lights shine out from towers, almost like the eyes of some powerful, foreboding giant. It's an icon of the nuclear age, an era Marcia Gagliardi, an antiques dealer and former high school teacher, views through a family connection. My father was a dental technician with the 29th Bomb Group in the Second War, and eventually the 29th Bomb Group bombed Hiroshima and Nagasaki. He, of course, was on Guam and had nothing directly to do with it, and uh, he was quite proud of it as I was growing up. When I was young, he thought it was the right decision that we had dropped the bomb. And as I grew older, from my teen years until he died when I was in my early 30s, he became increasingly uh, depressed and eventually told me that he felt we had unleashed uh, demons into the world by dropping the bomb that it was horrible that we had destroyed Hiroshima and Nagasaki. But worse yet, we had manipulated the very molecular, the very atomic structure of creation. And he said to me one day, if you can do anything about this, I want you to. Was your father speaking uh, specifically about nuclear weaponry, or did he also voice concerns about nuclear power? He voiced concerns about both nuclear power and nuclear weapons. And he could see that they were inextricably linked. Marcia has taken her father's plea to heart. Since 2005, she's participated in the Shut It Down Affinity Group, a small cluster of older women activists. 
They have opposed the Vermont Yankee nuclear power plant about 28 miles from her home in the town of Athol, Massachusetts. The plant's owner, Entergy Corporation, announced in 2013 that for economic reasons it would shortly begin to decommission the plant, a process expected to take decades. How you doing? Good. Tonight, a half dozen Affinity members have brought dishes for a potluck dinner at the home of their senior participant, Francis Crow, who lives near the campus of Smith College in Northampton, Massachusetts, about a 45-minute drive from the power plant. Sometimes they travel there together to hold a protest vigil against the reactor, a colorful act of guerrilla theater intended to dramatize their cause. I have been involved with the Shut It Down Affinity Group because I feel very strongly this is a very dangerous old nuclear power plant that should have been shut down long before now. In fact, it should never have been built. At age 95, Frances Crow gets about with remarkable vigor greeting her guests, moving around the chairs in her dining room, and arranging the food as it's placed on the table. Frances has long been committed to public awareness activities aimed at reducing the nuclear threat. She is animated by this evening's company and conversation. I know and understand the dangers of radiation. My husband was a radiologist. He was one of the founders of Physicians for Social Responsibility in the Pioneer Valley. And we both worked uh, to abolish nuclear uh, power and nuclear weapons. You know, now I'm old. I'm, you know, willing to put my body at risk to go there. Uh, because, you know, I've lived my life, and if this is the way I can make a difference, then I want to. Because of your age, you're not so worried about the potential physical danger that would result from going up to the nu nuclear reactor? Yes, I'm willing to expose myself. I wish the children at the school across the road were not there. They're the ones I worry about. As a Quaker, Frances feels a moral and spiritual obligation to dissent from what she sees as a grave threat to her community's public health. And she goes to great lengths. Women, you know, in Fukushima tried very hard to shut down those reactors. And they vigiled, they were arrested many times, but it didn't, you know, impress upon the people what they should do. So... I don't know. It's a last remedy for, for me. We're a group that works nonviolently. We don't believe in doing any damage uh, to the area or the reactor. And do you physically chain yourself to the property? We have many times. We go walk up very quickly to the gate and put the chain around the gate and then around our waist, and we lock it, and we have padlocks on it. We are, we are here today to, to shut down the Vermont Yankee nuclear power plant. We wait while the police are called, and they come, and they cut the chains, and then they take us in the police cars to the station where they book us. Well, people do tell us that we're crazy. And uh, we're not unaccustomed to hearing that. Marcia Gagliardi. We also sometimes hear that 
they reconsider their opinion. Uh, we have exhausted other remedies. We continue to pursue other avenues. It's not the only thing we do. But I think each of us believes every time we go there that transformation is possible. It is truly possible that there will be a change of heart. And that's what's at the nub of nonviolent resistance. The activists were pleased by the announcement to shutter the plant, but they're keeping a careful eye on the lengthy, complicated process which will require safe handling of radioactive materials. Also joining the potluck is Hattie Nessel, who is happily on the mend from recent knee surgery. I taught elementary school, and then I became a, a counselor for teachers with uh, children with learning disabilities, setting up programs. So if you were an elementary school teacher, do you have thoughts on an elementary school functioning a quarter mile from the reactor in Vernon? Oh, it's criminal. There's nothing short of criminal. I mean, it just gives me the chills. I have grandchildren... The youngest are three and five years old. They would never be in that school. <laughs> never, you know. You, you wouldn't have permitted it? No. Um, with what I know now. Water flowing at Whetstone Brook by the Main Street Bridge in Brattleboro in southeast Vermont as the green mountains rise gracefully in the distance. Known for its lively arts culture, Brattleboro is the largest town near the Vermont Yankee nuclear reactor by the Connecticut River in Vernon, seven miles away. For many residents, the nuke plant has been an uneasy fact of life. Do you have any concerns about safety being so close to that plant? Oh, yeah. I think anyone close to a nuke plant is, needs to be concerned. What are your concerns? Well, I don't think radiation is a... Uh, good thing. <laughs> and no matter what they say, you know, if, if you have to have an evacuation plan, then there's a danger. So that says it to me. It doesn't raise my anxiety level day to day. I mean, but I think in the background, it's, there's always, you know, when you live this close to a plant, there's always a thought that, what if, you know, but I don't live with a daily fear, let's put it that way. We need to go with solar. Uh, we need to use what this universe has given us and not go into any nuclear. And we've got waste. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. I think it's a great source of power. And, you know, I understand people are afraid of stuff like that, but in my opinion, there's danger in, like, electricity-wise. There's danger all the time in things, you know, storms, weather, and all that. But as far as the nuclear power plant is, I see nothing wrong with keeping it open that's my opinion i mean it's a it's a source of power a nuclear reactor manipulates the tiny components of certain atoms through a process called fission Scientists discovered that fission unleashes a mind-bogglingly vast storehouse of energy. It also releases scorching heat, which the reactor uses to boil water. The steam then spins turbine blades to generate electricity. But the uranium fuel becomes highly and dangerously radioactive. The Vermont Yankee reactor began operating in Vernon in 1972. 
Richard Watts traced the plant's stormy history in his book, Public Meltdown. You would come into Vernon and you would, you would have a sense that it was a little different because you would see the large transmission line infrastructure, the high voltage lines to carry the electricity. But otherwise, you would be in any New England town, um, small country road, go to the left, nice school, church, go a little further, country store, and then there is this facility that has some warning signs around it, and now there's a series of wired fences. But it's on the banks of the Connecticut River. You can canoe right up to the backside of it. Vermont Yankee was purchased in 2002 by Entergy Corporation, a Fortune 500 conglomerate headquartered in New Orleans. Since then, it says it has invested more than $400 million in the Yankee plant. But the economics of generating electricity have shifted dramatically. A sharp drop in the price of natural gas has rendered nuclear power less competitive. In 2013, company president Bill Mole announced plans to close the Yankee reactor. This decision was based on the economics of the plant, not operational performance, not litigation risk, nor political pressure. Simply put, the plant costs exceed the plant revenue, and this asset is not financially viable. Entergy Corporation declined several requests to be interviewed for this documentary. Many observers accept the company's explanation that economics propelled its decision. But there's no question that Entergy faced mounting hostility in Vermont's dynamic, progressive political culture. There was a series of high-profile missteps. Author Richard Watts. In 2004, there was a transformer fire, and that was a quite a dramatic incident. Again, not considered a safety impact, but flames coming out of a nuclear power plant were considered rather frightening. There was a missing fuel rod, so Energy has to report how many fuel rods are in the spent fuel pool, and one went missing, and that became quite a story for a while. There was a dumping of some soil that had been contaminated. Then in 2007, the wall of a cooling tower at Yankee dramatically collapsed, forcing a torrent of water to gush out. It left many people questioning maintenance standards at the plant. I think the bigger clash was over uh, the company's record about whether there were underground pipes that would leak and the truth, which was there were underground pipes that leaked. Energy had testified under oath that there weren't. John Dillon is news director at Vermont Public Radio. The pipes carried radioactive material at the nuclear plant. Does Vermont Yankee have any underground piping that carries uh, radionuclides? Entergy Vice President Jay Thayer testifying at a Vermont state regulatory hearing in 2009. The reason I hesitate is I don't believe there is active piping in service today carrying radionuclides underground. That was not a true statement. And people at the time, from Governor Jim Douglas, who was a Republican, to Lieutenant Governor Brian Doobie, who was a Republican, to Peter Shumlin, who was the leading Democrat, all seized on that statement as this is not a company we want to do business with. In 2010, the Vermont State Senate acted. 
It voted 26 to 4 to shut down the Yankee plant after debate that repeatedly cited public safety concerns. But in a controversial ruling, a federal court later held that the legislature had exceeded its authority because public safety may be considered only at the federal level by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Vermont Yankee remained highly popular with many residents of Vernon, where the large facility is housed. People keep telling me the taxes are going to double if Vermont Yankee leaves. I'm a school teacher. My husband's retired. What do I do? I don't want to leave. Entergy has been a source of local employment as well as millions of dollars in tax revenues for Vernon, population 2,206. Homeowner Sandy Morrison spoke to a state legislative hearing. For the past two years, I have been really grieved by the things I've read in the paper and the things I've heard, ongoing battles with energy, thinking all that it has helped the state of Vermont, the millions of dollars. I don't know where you're going to get all that money that you've gotten from Entergy, but it's helped us in the state of Vermont. That public hearing occurred at Vernon Elementary School, a few blocks from the plant. But concerns over the health and safety of the school children who attend there are overblown, says Howard Schaefer, a nuclear engineer who worked on the Vermont Yankee startup in the early 70s. No safety concerns at all? None at all. Uh, many of the people who work at the plant live right in Vernon, right outside the gate, and their children go to that school. Uh, that should be an indication of how they feel. But if there were to be an accident, uh, at Vermont Yankee, leading to a potential release or release, as the Fukushima event tragically shows, plenty of time to order an evacuation. Uh, the prefecture uh, premier had ordered an evacuation uh, more than 12 hours before that. We have seen at Chernobyl and at Fukushima that catastrophic accidents can occur at nuclear power plants. Physician Ira Helfand has long experience in hospital emergency rooms. And our own Nuclear Regulatory Commission at the time of Fukushima said that in the event of an accident, people up to 50 miles away would be at risk. If you draw the circle around Vermont Yankee, which is a fairly remotely located nuclear power plant, there are a million and a half people living within 50 miles of that plant. And in the event of a significant accident, they're all at risk. You're listening to Radioactive, a special from Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. To obtain an audio copy of this documentary and to learn more about nuclear power, please visit humanmedia.org. A simulated patient is hosed down in a medical exercise at the Vandenberg Air Force Base in California. Decontamination training prepares the team to respond in case of a nuclear, chemical, or biological catastrophe. The danger exists at several levels. Dr. Ira Helfand is co-president of the Nobel Peace Prize-winning International Physicians for the Prevention of Nuclear War. In recent years, he has voiced increased concern about nuclear reactors. There are the, danger, the dangers posed by the routine emissions of radioactive material, and perhaps that's the concern uh, 
day-to-day for the elementary school children at a school so close to the plant. Uh, They pose a a danger to a much larger community in the event of a catastrophic accident. Specifically, what are the risks to children who attend a public school so close to a nuclear reactor? Well, during routine operations, there are emissions from these power plants. We know that. Uh, Vermont Yankee in particular has had a number of highly documented uh, releases of tritium, which is a radioactive form of hydrogen. Um, Other radioactive nuclides get out of the plant as well. And uh, radioactivity uh, is not good for human beings. Uh, Radiation is a powerful carcinogen. Children are much more uh, vulnerable to the effects of radiation than adults are because they're growing and their cells are dividing more rapidly. And dividing cells are the ones that are are susceptible to damage uh, from radiation that can go on to lead to, to cancer formation. The Nuclear Energy Institute, a trade association for operators and designers of reactors, says that nuclear plants emit negligible amounts of radiation during routine operation, a standard intended to protect plant workers as well as the general public. But nuclear engineer Arnie Gunderson, a veteran of the industry, has become a harsh critic. The first concern is something called rain out. And a nuclear plant leaks around 5,000 gallons a day of radioactive liquid. Um, Some of that is steam that comes off the fuel pool, and some of it is just leaks from valves and things like that. And that leakage that goes up the nuclear stack and and out into the atmosphere. So about 5,000 gallons a day of tritiated water comes out the stack. As steam? As steam. And it comes out the stack and it lays on the ground around the nuclear power plant. It's routinely found. You know, they'll sample a puddle and it'll have very high radiation in it and they'll attribute it to rain out. Um, On a boiling water reactor like Vermont Yankee, the turbine hall is very, very radioactive. And it sends up high energy gamma rays into the sky and they bounce around and uh, eventually come back down and irradiate the entire periphery of the power plant. So that at Vermont Yankee, the exposure at the fence post is 20 millirems higher than normal background. And that's right where the school is. 20 millirem per year is about a 20% increase in the normal background radiation around the power plant. And does that expose people to disease? Any radiation exposes people to disease. We know now that the myth that any amount of radiation is dangerous is not true at all. Nuclear engineer Howard Schaefer. And that radiation is plenty safe at low levels, which we manage to. And in fact, just like other natural substances, uh, we've discovered it has a vaccination effect. In other words, just as exposure to a dead uh, smallpox virus will vaccinate you against smallpox, Uh, exposure to radiation at certain levels vaccinates you against such damage uh, at moderate levels from radiation. So you wind up decreasing the amount of cancers people get. My God, I didn't think anybody had such unscientific views about this. Physician Ira Helfand. I mean, the, the strong consensus in the scientific community is that there is no threshold, that any dose of radiation poses a risk. The, the last uh, 
large study, the biological effects of ionizing radiation, was quite unequivocal that there appears to be at least a linear relationship uh, no matter what the dose is. The smaller the dose, the smaller the risk, but it does not go to zero until the dose goes to zero. And even very small doses of radiation carry some risk with them. Nuclear power also poses a large, lingering problem for which no practical solution seems to be on the horizon. Spent nuclear fuel. This waste material remains highly radioactive and so hot that the fuel rods will catch fire if exposed to air. An estimated 70,000 tons of spent fuel is currently stored at reactor sites, mostly in cooling pools. And these are crammed well beyond intended capacity. Dr. Ira Helfand worries about the nuclear waste at Vermont Yankee. This staggering inventory of radioactive material, much larger than at Fukushima, is sitting right now in a storage pool above ground, suspended in the air, uh, extremely vulnerable to accident or to terrorist attack, and no one knows what to do with those spent fuel rods. Of particular concern about the storage pools is a nightmare scenario that would ensue if a pool were to catch fire, spreading high doses of radioactivity thousands of square miles. It would cause by far the largest nuclear accident ever. The most realistic temporary approach may be storage in hardened containers known as dry casks. These are 100-ton modules lined with steel and surrounded by a thick layer of concrete. A growing number of reactors, including Vermont Yankee, have installed modules for a portion of their waste. John Dillon of Vermont Public Radio. I think people are concerned. I mean, Entergy has put some of it into dry casks, which are actually safer, arguably, than uh, the spent fuel pool, which is above ground and needs to be replenished with pumps powered by electricity. And that was an issue at Fukushima, and those pumps didn't get powered, and and the water um, steamed off or evaporated, and the spent fuel was exposed. And um, so, yeah, people are concerned. There's a lot of nuclear fuel in the pool and a lot stored on site, but that issue is national. I mean, that's that's a situation everywhere. One idea is to establish a centralized geological repository to which the spent fuel now stored at over 100 nuclear plants would be transferred. The leading candidate had been Nevada's Yucca Mountain, adjacent to the site where mushroom clouds formed from atomic weapons testing in the 1950s. But the plan met with stiff local opposition and was canceled by President Obama. Others questioned the safety of transporting the radioactive material through communities. We're talking about uh, one of the most dangerous materials on the planet. Uh, We never really encountered anything like this until the dawn of the nuclear age. Johns Hopkins University nuclear policy expert Robert Alvarez. It will take several hundred years for the rods to cool off for the the intense uh, gamma emitters to to diminish. But there still remains in the spent fuel radioisotopes that actually are radiotoxic and hazards, hazards to humans for uh, uh, hundreds to thousands of centuries. It's just an extraordinarily uh, 
arrogant thing that we have done. Dr. Ira Helfand. I mean, we're talking about the need to protect the environment from this material for a half a million years. All of recorded human history goes back about 6,000 years. And we say we're going to guarantee the future for a half a million years to come. Dr. Helfand points out that the same technology to enrich fuel for nuclear reactors is used to produce nuclear weapons, and that proliferation of these weapons of mass destruction is another risk posed by nuclear energy. An alternative path is stepping up use of renewable, low-carbon energy, including solar and wind, and greater focus on energy conservation and efficiency, which we'll explore in the future. Listening to Humankind, I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Antonio Oliart Rose, associate producer Mark Kilstein, editorial assistants from Thomas Royal and Kathy Graham, webmaster Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Vermont Public Radio, Roland Boyden, and Brattleboro Community TV, and to Tony Buck. Our program is presented by Human Media in association with Connie Goldman Productions. Program development provided by Shart Media. To purchase a CD copy of this program, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN. That's 1-800-5-L-I-S-T-E-N. Or visit our website where you can also obtain an audio download of this and our other programs and can hear selected episodes free. You can access free written materials related to this program as well. Our web address is humanmedia.org. Again, if you'd like to purchase a CD copy of Humankind by phone, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN, and our web address is humanmedia.org. This segment, Radioactive, Part 2, is Humankind Program number 212. The executive producer is David Freudberg. This is Humankind. To hear more episodes of Humankind, you can subscribe to our free podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast player. A new episode each week. The podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you enjoy this program, be sure to leave us a kind review at iTunes and Stitcher. If you want to support the program, please visit humanmedia.org. And at the top of the homepage, click on How You Can Help. Again, our web address is humanmedia.org. Thanks.